Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts, that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So tonight we gather here for Ash Wednesday, um, our second of two Ash Wednesday services here today. And Ash Wednesday is one of the two primary fast days, fast days in the liturgical calendar and the beginning of the season of Lent. But over the next five weeks here at St. Matthias, we'll continue gathering on Wednesdays during the season of Lent. In, in the evening, we'll gather, as we do every year during this season. But this year, our particular focus will be on getting comfortable with the service of evening prayer. Um, for those of you just visiting with us, uh, the Anglican tradition is a tradition of the prayer book. We use a prayer book. But the Anglican Church in North America has just released a brand new 2019 prayer book. And so we're going to be get, using this Lent um, to get used to and comfortable with the evening prayer service. But also, uh, the focus of short homilies we're going to have each Wednesday night will be the collects of Lent. Now, for those of you who don't know what a collect is, we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. But we've already read, read a collect tonight on page 544 of the Book of Common Prayer, the short prayer that we read um, that began, Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. That's a collect. And each Wednesday, excuse me, each week, um, the homily at Wednesday evening prayer will focus on the collect from the previous Sunday. There's a collect for each Sunday of Lent. But in particular, we're going to be concentrating on the grace of God that the, that the collect highlights. See, while the season of Lent is a penitential season and therefore has a particular focus on our sinfulness, it's ultimately also a season about grace. Though you could say that all the seasons of the church year are, in their own unique ways, ultimately about the graces of God, the gifts of God. For example, our, our liturgical year, our church year, begins in Advent, which is all about the grace of waiting and the hope for the future. Then in Christmas, uh, it's about the grace of the incarnation, the grace of God sending the gift of his Son to the world. Then the season of Epiphany that we've just wrapped up, is about the grace of God's revelation, his revealing of himself to us, his revealing of his truth to us. And then we're in Lent now, and after, or at the end of Lent, will come Holy Week, where the focus is the grace of Jesus' sacrifice for us. In the Easter season, it's the grace of his resurrection. In Pentecost, the grace of him sending the gift of his Holy Spirit. In the season after Pentecost, the rest of the, the church year, the focus is on the grace of discipleship, of God giving us the good gift of teaching us how to live, how we were designed to live in his power and strength. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be inviting you who, who come on Wednesday night to consider uh, different graces of God highlighted by the different collects of Lent. 
But I didn't really want to wait until next Wednesday when it was supposed to begin. I decided I wanted to start this series, Collects of Grace, tonight, today. So in the sermon tonight, which will be more of a sermon than a homily, like the future Wednesdays, in tonight's sermon, I'm going to invite us to consider this collect for Ash Wednesday that we just read from 544. But before we delve into that, I want to provide a brief introduction of sorts to the series as a whole about collects. I want to talk a minute about the history of what a collect is, the background of what a collect is. I'll try to keep it fairly brief, but if you really nerd out on this kind of stuff, you will be able to pick up my manuscript at the end that will have additional info and footnotes. So it's been said that a collect is a prayer that asks for one thing only. Collect is a prayer that asks for one thing only. But the origin of the word, uh, which comes from the Latin word collecta, it really refers to the gathering of the people together, right? Collecting of the people, but also the collecting up of the petitions of the individual members of the congregation into one prayer. Right? So that's what a, a collect is. It, the leader of the service, the worship service, is intending to collect what ideally are the intents of the hearts of the people gathered there into one prayer. And the collect seems to have emerged very early, in the very early centuries of church history. At first, it, it emerged not as something pre-written, but as something that the bishop or priest would pray extemporaneously, meaning off the top of their heads, a, a succinct prayer that they believe summarized the intentions of those believers gathered there for worship. But it wasn't too long, still in really the early church or early Middle Ages, it wasn't too long before the collects became a form of pre-written prayers like they are today. In fact, many of the collects we use on Sundays, right, we have a collect for each Sunday um, for worship, many of those which are found in the Book of Common Prayer have their origins all the way back to the 5th, the 6th century of the church A.D. In fact, just a little more about that history, that there's something called a sacramentary. A sacramentary is the book that the leader of the worship service uses, so it's also called a missal or an altar book. That book up there would be, I guess, a sacramentary. We don't talk about it in such fancy terms. But the sacramentaries of three bishops of Rome from the early Middle Ages actually survive to this day. And these sacramentaries contain earlier forms of many of the collects that we still use in our Sunday or Ash Wednesday or whatever worship. But that these bishops were bishops of Rome brings me to another point, which is that the collect is actually a unique, is unique to the liturgies of the Western Church. In other words, you will not find collects in the liturgies of the Eastern Church, like in the Greek Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox Church, for example. You don't find collects in their liturgy. They emerged in the western half of the church. But even fast-forwarding another thousand years to after the Protestant Reformation of the western church in the 16th century, even then, collects still continue to be used in worship, the worship of many of the Protestant traditions that emerged. And yet, there's probably no tradition where the collect has been a more integral element of worship than Anglicanism. Indeed, it's been said that there is no more characteristic Anglican liturgical ingredient than the collect. 
And what has allowed the collect to endure in our tradition, where it has fallen out of use in most other Protestant traditions, is surely a result of the creation of the Book of Common Prayer by Thomas Cranmer. Cranmer was the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the, the highest bishop in the Anglican Church, during the mid-1500s when the Church of England separated from the Roman Church, and he published the first Book of Common Prayer in 1549. And what he did to develop that, that book of, that prayer book was he assembled a team of six bishops and six divines, which means theologians, to compile and edit the collects from, you know, the, the early and medieval church, but also in some cases to write entirely new collects, okay, for the prayer book, so that the first edition, that first edition of the Book of Common Prayer in 1549, it included a collect for each Sunday of the year, as well as a collect for the feast day of each of the New Testament saints. And then with later editions of the BCP, more collects were added. So the collect has always remained an integral part of Anglican worship. As long as we, we've used a book of common prayer, you know, that's kept kind of the, the tradition of using collects alive. Well, in the new 2019 BCP we're using now, you can find almost 50 pages worth of collects. If you are so desire, you can turn to page 598, and for almost the next 50 pages, you'd find collect after collect after collect, whether it's the Sunday collects or for special feast days or fast days and so forth. Well, if you were to survey all those collects find, found um, in the later half of the BCP, if you were to survey them, you would notice that they all tend to, to follow a particular pattern, a particular form. And so in your bulletin tonight, I've, I've included um, kind of an, an explanation of this form in the table on the back of your bulletin there um, that kind of splits up the collect into six uh, parts. And so I want to take just a moment to explain that using the collect for Ash Wednesday, which I've broken up into those parts. So first of all, every collect begins with an address. This is just indicating who the prayer is addressed to. So you can see that today's collect begins uh, Almighty and Everlasting God. So see, it's almost always God the Father who is addressed in a collect. Either explicitly it says the Father, or like in this case, implicitly, right? We're referring to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. But there are a few collects that are exceptions, very few. Second comes the acknowledgement. Now this section of the collect provides the doctrine, which means the theological truth that typically, typically about some quality about God, but sometimes about kind of the human condition. Whatever theological truth is in the acknowledgement is going to serve as the basis for what the prayer is going to ask for. So the theological truth about God acknowledged in tonight's collect is that God hates nothing he has made. And it says, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Right, so that acknowledgement lays the groundwork for the third part, which is the petition, which is what is actually going to be asked. You'll recall at the beginning I said that a collect is a prayer that asks for one thing only. Well, the petition is that one thing, right? This third part of the collect is where that request is made. And as we embark upon the Lenten season, it's appropriate that this Ash Wednesday collect asks for the transformation of our hearts, right? The, the petition is create and make in us new and contrite hearts, God. 
But you know, with any prayer, there should be a purpose. Any petition, there should be a purpose in what we're asking for. For example, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, okay, and the Lord's Prayer, and the middle part of the Lord's Prayer is all the petitions, right? We ask God for our daily bread, for forgiveness, for the grace to forgive others, for we ask Him to keep us from temptation, we ask Him to deliver us from evil. That that middle part are all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Well, before we get to that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus first has us state the reasons that we would want to ask for those things, the proper motivation for asking these petitions. He teaches us to pray what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, where he's teaching us to say, God, our reason in all the, in petitioning for all these things we're about to, for daily bread, for forgiveness, for protection from evil, the reason we're asking for all that is so that in order that your name will be hallowed, will be glorified in our lives, in order that your kingdom will come in our, in and through our lives, and that your will will be done in our lives. Well, that's what Return to the collect, that's what the aspiration portion of a collect declares. It declares the reason for the petition that's just been made. So in today's collect, the reason we're asking um, for the Lord to create and make in us a new, new and contrite hearts is so that, quote, we, we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. That's why we're asking for it, right? Then the fifth part of the collect is the pleading. Recall that since collects are typically addressed to God the Father, the pleading states the means by which we can ask God the Father anything. The means that we, by which we can draw near to God the Father and ask Him anything without fear is our faith in the righteousness and sacrifice of Jesus. So the pleading plainly states that we ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. And finally, the name of Jesus is followed by what to Anglicans is a familiar doxology, right? Because it's at the end of every collect we ever pray, um, essentially. A doxology is just a a collection of words or a song of praise, right? And and this doxology invokes praise for the rest of the Trinity. Having just mentioned Jesus, it says, Who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So as I mentioned, is those who are Anglicans here, I'm sure, are, are very familiar with that doxology. And that's why, actually, I put an asterisk there by that, that label doxology, just to explain that this ending to, to the collex was so well known that in the earlier versions of the Book of Common Prayer, Thomas Cramer wouldn't even bother to print it. Cramer would either just leave it off because everybody knew what to say, or <clears throat> he would print an ampersand and the letter C, which is the old-fashioned way of saying etc., right, or and so forth. Right? Why? Because everybody just knew it, right? Everybody in the Church of England knew that's what you say at the end of the collect, right? So we don't need to waste any ink on it. It was only with the 1662 prayer book that the doxology began to be printed at the end of some collects, and not until, in America, not until the 1979 Episcopal Book of Common Prayer that the full wording of the doxology was restored to every collect. So this concludes my short little introduction on both the history and the, the common structure 
of the collect. Some of you thought may have thought, I didn't even know what a collect was before I walked in here tonight. And well, now you know probably more than you wanted to. <clears throat> but I'd like to finish here with the business of the night and with a short reflection on this collect for Ash Wednesday. From, from 1662 to 1928, the Book of Common Prayer actually prescribed that this prayer, the Collect for Ash Wednesday, be prayed every day throughout Lent. So if you came here tonight with, you know, in search of a discipline to take up for the season of Lent, congratulations, I have one to suggest to you, right? Just pray the Collect for Ash Wednesday every day of Lent, right? How long could that take? I mean, even if you make it slow, it's going to take, what, a minute? (laughs) Take that up for Lent and see how God might use it. See how he might bury that very important truth in your heart and bear fruit from that in your life. But but I'd like to draw your attention uh, just below that little table to the earlier version of this collect from the Middle Ages. When it read... Uh, you can I hope you can find it there. It read, "Grant we beseech we beseech Lord to your faithful people that they may undertake the sacred solemnities of the fast with fitting piety, and that they see them through with undisturbed devotion." Well, you'll notice if you look closely that with our present day version of the collect, which is based on Cranmer's revision in the 16th century. You'll notice that he, Cramer, has shifted away, shifted the emphasis in the collect away from the fast and on to penitence or repentance. So that medieval version, that older version, petitions God to help believers basically uh, help them to follow through on whatever discipline or fast they are taking up for the season of Lent. Like, help me follow through. Now, that's actually a good prayer to pray. Any of us who've done this Lent thing before, I mean, just think back to past Lent's till we get to about week two, right? And you're like, yeah, you know, I started with a lot of energy here, and now, yeah, I kind of forgot the other day, and you know, you're kind of—it's easy to kind of let it, you know, regular life just choke, choke away whatever you were trying to do to draw nearer to the Lord uh, during that season. Cramer's revision, so that's Cramer's revision shifts the petition to asking God instead for new and contrite hearts that we might be given true penitence, worldly lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, that we might obtain of God perfect remission and forgiveness. So he shifts it from the fast of Lent to the penitence, the repentance of the day that Ash Wednesday is about. In fact, those two words there, remission and forgiveness, that may seem redundant, but remission refers actually to to what is called in some versions of the Lord's Prayer is debts, forgive us our debts, right? Debts mean the, the sins of omission. That's things that we've been supposed to do, right, but left undone, right? Um, generally love people and we've chosen not to or neglected to. While the word forgiveness refers to offenses or sins of commission, things that we should not have done but have done anyway. Right? So that's kind of why that's split there. 
But I really appreciate that Cranmer chooses, chose to shift the focus of the collect the way he did. It's not that that older version is wrong, as we said, right? Um, as the first day of Lent, today's obviously an opportunity for us to, to make a beginning of whatever we've planned for the season, or maybe whatever idea we got five minutes ago in the sermon, or pray that collect once a day, or whatever. Um, Right, to commit any fast or discipline we've decided to take up to the Lord and ask for his grace to seek it through. That's a totally appropriate thing for the season of Lent. But today is not merely the first day of Lent. Today is Ash Wednesday. In particular, it is a day set aside for penitence, for us to acknowledge our sinfulness before God and to turn away from those things those sinful things, and turn back to the Lord and receive assurance of his mercy. And so that's kind of the focus that Cramer chose to shift the collect for Ash Wednesday to. And, and let me explain that a little further. If, if you'd uh, indulge me for a moment, if you maybe you already have it open, if you just turn to page 545 of the Book of Common Prayer, I want to explain just for a minute what else we're going to do in this service tonight. And I think it'll kind of fill out what this collect's talking about. If you're on 545, you'll see where it says the sermon. That's what we're doing right now. <laughs> um, when I'm done with the sermon, though, we'll go into the imposition of ashes, right, for anybody who wants to do that. And, and you'll see it that on that same page, 545, it explains that, that the, the ashes are a symbol of our mortality and that they're a sign of our penitence, right? So the symbol that we're mortal, that we're going to die, and the sign of the penitence that we're hoping to, to take up today. Then turning the page to 546, after the imposition of ashes, we're going to say together a portion of Psalm 51. Alan's going to lead us in that portion of Psalm 51. Well, this isn't just any psalm. Psalm 51 was written by King David at his lowest point in life, right? which, of course, was after not just after his sin with Bathsheba, but after the prophet had come to him and he'd become convicted about his sin with Bathsheba. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about David's sin with Bathsheba, but it actually involved violations of at least half of the Ten Commandments, right? Um, he was repenting for having coveted Bathsheba in the first place, then committing adultery with her, right? And he, in doing all that, he had actually stolen Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, so he'd stolen. Um, he'd had Uriah killed, so he committed murder, right, through Uriah at the front of the uh, battle line or whatever. And, of course, he'd broken the first command, which is putting another god before him, namely lust or Bathsheba and, or all the above, right, himself. Well, Cranmer drew, Cranmer drew the language and themes for his revision of the collect from this psalm. I'll just point out a few elements. You'll notice in verse 1, it speaks of God's mercy, right? And he draws that word and theme out. Then verse 3 speaks of acknowledging our faults, which he, he draws out. Then down to verse 10, it speaks of God creating a clean heart, right? Creating a clean heart in us. And finally, over to the final verse, verse 17, David speaks of a contrite heart. And that final line really captures, frankly, the theme of, of Ash, the Ash Wednesday collect and of Ash Wednesday, that, that a contrite heart God will not despise. And we'll get to, to that a little bit more in a moment. But 
Continuing on in the liturgy, after Psalm 51, we'll then in this service go into the confession on page 547, and then into a whole litany of penitence on 548. And this is a litany where we'll get much more specific about identifying particular behaviors as sin and confessing them, expressing not just our regret, but our desire to turn away from them and no longer operate in those ways that are not just displeasing to God, but they're harmful to us and harmful to others. Then on 550, the priest will respond to that confession and litany by declaring uh, the absolution um, in comfortable words, reassuring us that if we, uh, if we who are in Christ confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then finally, there's only reference to this in, in kind of the italics, but finally we're going to finish the service with the celebration of Holy Communion. where we're given a tangible reminder and renewal of the grace that we receive through Christ by faith. So what I hope you can see, having just blitzed through the rest of the service we're going to do tonight with you, what I hope you can see is how Cranmer's revision of the Collect for Ash Wednesday It does what a collect is supposed to do. It summarizes our primary purpose in gathering tonight, which is to repent of our sin. And yet his collect also reminds us of what a grace it is to do that. That there is grace in being able to repent. There is grace in repenting. The action of repenting. His prayer celebrates that while God may hate our sin, that there is nothing, nothing we can do to make him hate us. Man, if we could all just get that truth buried in here. right? It's up here for most believers. But is it here? Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you've made. Instead, any of us who are willing to acknowledge our sinful condition will be met with his grace. As in you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. uh, There's a set of scholars who wrote a reflection on this collect and said, They explain that the word penitence here, what it really means is seeing things as they are. Seeing our sin for what it is. But when we see that, when we recognize our sin, then flinging it back, flinging back the discouraging truth about our sin onto God for Him to take care of and dispose. That's what penitence is. And so the petition of the prayer is for God to help us actually recognize our sin. That he would actually use the rest of this Ash Wednesday liturgy and and the whole season of Lent to, to reveal our sin to us, that we might learn the grace of penitence. So why is penitence, why is repentance a grace? I mean, it sounds, you know, counterintuitive. How, How could it be a grace? I mean, you know, penitence, repentance is admitting defeat. Who among us enjoys admitting defeat? That's what penitence is. It's saying, sin is more powerful than me. Apart from God, sin will overcome me. Sin has overcome me. What makes penitence, what makes doing that, waving that white flag a grace, a gift, is that when we do that, God meets us there. That's where God meets us. At the very place of admitting our defeat before God, 
is where relationship with him begins and continues. You'll see finally in your bulletin an excerpt from a poem by Fulk Gravel, and he says it a lot more beautifully than I could. Just look at that excerpt from that poem. He writes, Down in the depth of my iniquity, my sin, that ugly center of infernal spirits, where each sin feels her own deformity, in these peculiar torments she inherits, deprived of human graces and divine. Even there appears this saving God of mine. So in light of this amazing truth that God, that the place and the posture of repentance is the very place that God meets us, I hope that you'll agree with Cranmer's petition in the collect that God would create in us softened hearts and make contrite hearts in us. Why? Because we aspire to be sufficiently penitent. And I ask the Lord now to answer the prayer of this collect that we've already all prayed on 544 as we continue this liturgy of submitting to the imposition of ashes and and reading Psalm 51 and confessing our sins and all that. Because it's by acknowledging our sinfulness, by admitting that sin has us beaten, that we obtain his forgiveness. It's by only by acknowledging our need of God that we can hear in the absolution and in the receiving of communion, that, that we can trust in faith. It's only in that that he meets us there with loving acceptance. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever.